Today, I'd like to look at a few final things on this topic of using our words well. We've seen that our words are important, right? Uh, what, what we say matters. We saw in that video there, our words can tear down and, and bring death or they can bring life. And scripture tells us that, 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 that we can bring words. In our words is the power of life and death, right? And so we need to speak words of life. Uh, we've addressed the problems of complaining, uh, of, of gossiping, taking God's name in vain. Last week we were cussing up a stormer. No, we, did, we didn't necessarily do that. But if you missed last week, you know, now your your interest is peaked, I'm sure. So, uh, but uh, anyway, we've we've looked at a, a whole lot of those things, and uh, I, I hope that uh, that you have been taking these things to heart. Uh, I'm sure there are many more that we could do uh, that we, ways that we use our words. Um, but today we're, we're we're focusing on on one more that uh, that I think is important for us to to grasp, and that is the subject of lying. Uh, some, some experts say that in, in a, uh, they found in a 2002 study uh, conducted by the University of Massachusetts, they found that 60% of adults lie at least three times in a 10-minute conversation with a stranger. So uh, six to over half uh, adults, if you're in a, and it's just goofy stuff, but uh, just making yourself look a little bit better uh, in that in that whole thing. The, the, the book, the the day America told the truth, they found uh, they found that people lie to their parents most of all. Eighty six percent of people uh, lie to their parents, uh, followed by friends. Seventy five percent lie to their friends. Seventy three lie to their siblings, and sixty nine percent lie to their spouses. In general, again, we lie about things that aren't really all that important. There was a, a, a study done uh, by a British film rental company a few years ago, and they found that 30% of the people that responded to the survey actually lied about seeing The Godfather. Why, why would it matter, right? Except that, uh, we wanna, uh, well, everybody's probably seen that, so I want to be on that same... We, just, we lie in order to make ourselves... Eh, we just want to lift ourselves up a little bit, make ourselves seem a little more likable... Sometimes we do lie about things that are that, that matter. Uh, according to one estimate, forty percent of people lie on their resumes. Probably a bigger deal than whether you've seen The Godfather or not, right? Uh, there's a there's a study by uh, a group, Scientific American. Uh, they say that ninety percent of people who are looking for an online date lie in their profile. Ninety percent. Women tend to lie about their weight, an average of eight and a half pounds less than their actual. Wait, I don't know how they found that out, were they going around with scales or whatever, but uh, uh, the men on, on an online profile tend to lie uh, about uh, how tall they are. Uh, they, they present themselves as taller, richer, and or better educated than they really are. So uh, take that for what it is. Some, some studies have shown that, that uh, babies as young as six months old uh, could actually be accused of lying. Uh, you've probably seen uh, little, little children who... Fake cry in order to get what they want, right? You know, they look around and they, uh, is, is somebody coming or not, you know? Um, I, of course, I'm not even going to get into politics. We kind of just expect lying to, to be a part of the political arena, right? Uh, half-truths, uh, no-truths. There are literally groups that uh, spend all of their time fact-checking what the... Uh, we got a, what, a debate tomorrow night. I'm sure there will be people fact-checking uh, what is said during, the, during that debate on which side and which, which candidate is more honest. Uh, and then there's Coco the gorilla. There she is. 
Uh, maybe you've heard of Coco. She, uh, she's famous for learning sign language. She knows over a thousand words in sign language. And uh, the scientists have been able to communicate with her. Uh, after they learned how to communicate with her, she learned sign language. Uh, the, the, her caretakers at the Gorilla Foundation in Northern California, uh, she's, she's talking to them, and she actually asked them for a kitten as a pet. So you see there, there's a couple of cats. Uh, they, they got her uh, the, a couple of cats as pets. It, it seems, however, that one day uh, when no one was around, Coco, I don't know if she have a bad day or whatever, but she ripped the sink out of the wall in her habitat. When the, uh, when the, the caretakers returned, they signed to Coco and asked Coco what, uh, uh, what, what happened and, and, uh, and who ripped the sink out. And Coco signed back, the cat did it. Even gorillas are lying, okay? It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, epidemic, it's, it's pandemic, I think. All over, uh, lying is everywhere. And yet, we find instructions over and over throughout the Bible not to lie. Uh, again, uh, as we've seen in, in some of these things in the past, it's, I mean, it's in the top ten list, right? Uh, t- uh, the, the Ten Commandments, this is number nine in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. I mean, it's, it's right there in black and white. If that's not enough for you, here's a few more examples. And again, this is just a, a small, small sampling of what Scripture says about uh, honesty uh, against lying, telling the importance of telling the truth. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Proverbs 12, 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Revelation 21, 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I mean, we're getting pretty dramatic here, right? I mean, it's, it sounds like maybe God considers lying a little bit bigger deal than, than, than maybe we do. I mean, it says that lying is detestable to him. It's hated by him. It's an abomination. And the ultimate consequences of lying are the same as those consequences, consequences for murderers and sorcerers and fornicators and all the rest of those folks on that list. The lake of fire, uh, H-E double hockey. I can't say hell because we talked about cussing last week, so I can't, but the, uh, that's where liars will end up, it says. It's, it's a big deal. So I have to ask, well, why in the world do we lie then? I mean, it says that we do it all the time, but scripture says don't do it all the time, so why do we do it? Uh, in their book, Boundaries, Henry Cloud and John Townsend say that there are really just two reasons why people lie. Uh, first, there are liars who lie out of shame, guilt, or fear. So we lie uh, by, out of those ways because we're afraid of the consequences, right? We, 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 or we're embarrassed. We don't want to look bad. Uh, we, so we kind of twist the truth a little bit. We say an outright lie in order to look better, uh, in order to save face. The, the second reason that uh, uh, Cloud and Townsend found uh, that, that people lie is just, I mean, there's no defensiveness in it. There's no really shame involved. They're just plain old lying, just, just uh, out of love of themselves. It's just selfishness. I, I'm just going to lie because I can. 
Uh, and so there's, you know, we, we lie out of shame, guilt, or fear, or we lie uh, based on uh, uh, selfishness. Really, all of that is just selfishness, right? I, I remember uh, carpooling with another family in elementary school. Uh, we didn't really know this family uh, before, I don't think, but they lived just uh, a couple streets over, and so uh, we would uh, you know, share responsibilities driving to and from school. I think it was probably first grade. And, and this boy... Uh, that was uh, same class as me, but he, man, he just lie all the time. It was just kind of like, just did it. And, and you know, I'd notice as first grader, you know, I, 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 he's doing it so much that even I'm noticing. I'm like, what in the world is going on? And I remember asking my mom, uh, I don't know why this stuck with me, but it's kind of stuck with me all through the, I said, why does he lie all the time? And, uh, and my mom uh, explained it this way. She said, well, he's saying what he wishes were, was the truth. He's saying what he wishes is, is right. Uh, what he wishes is the truth. And, and I've used that filter many times. If I, if I find out that, uh, that someone is lying or, or maybe if I'm tempted to lie myself or if I have, well, why am I saying that? Well, it's probably because I wish that that was the way it was. Uh, trying to make myself look good. I, it's really just rooted in selfishness. I, I'm wanting to make myself appear better. Now that makes sense because uh, lying is, uh, is described as sinful in Scripture and sin at its core is all about pleasing myself, right? It's, it's, uh, it's uh, selfishness. In fact, the devil has been called the father of lies. Uh, John 8, 44, Jesus is talking and he's, he's saying, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil is a liar. The father of lies. Clear back in the Garden of Eden. It was the devil who lied to Adam and Eve and initiated the fall of humanity into sin. And since then, lying, deception, and selfishness have been at the heart of sinfulness. I want to take a little side trip here for just a second uh, because the question always comes up, okay, well, yeah, I know lying is wrong, but is it ever okay to, to twist the truth a little? Is it ever okay to lie? You know, my initial thought is, no, you can't, there's no, no, tell the truth, tell the truth. And then you look to the Bible and there's at least two instances in scripture where people lied and were actually kind of commended for it. Got your interest yet? Okay. Uh, if, if you ever face these two issues, you, you, can, you can lie. You, no. So one is the Hebrew midwives. Those of you that have studied uh, Exodus at all, uh, walked through it, maybe you did it in your, in your class there a, a, a few months ago, years ago, maybe, David, I don't know, uh, in, in Exodus. Uh, the, the Hebrew midwives, so the, the, the people of Israel are in captivity in Egypt, and uh, the Egyptians are getting, uh, getting kind of freaked out that, they're, that the, the Jewish folks are growing too big a number, going to be too powerful and overtake them. And so Pharaoh says, uh, kill all the baby boys. And the midwives, the Hebrew midwives who are helping the women uh, with, their, with their delivery uh, said, no, we're not going to do that. And so when, when Pharaoh said, hey, I told you to do that, they, said, they, they lied about it. And they said, oh, well, these, these women are so strong, they're, they're giving birth before we ever get there. And, uh, and so, so we, can't, we can't do anything about it. It says in, uh, that's in Exodus chapter 1, it, it says there, uh, so God was kind to the midwives because the midwives feared God. He didn't punish them for lying. He actually was kind to them. 
So there's one example. So if you ever find yourself oppressed by the Pharaoh of Egypt and you're helping a woman give birth, you, it's okay to lie in that situation. The other example is, uh, is also from early on in, in, uh, in the Old Testament. In Joshua chapter 2, Joshua sends men in to spy out Jericho, right? And, uh, and, and they, uh, the, the king of Jericho finds out that these guys are there somewhere and these spies are there and they need to, they need to figure out what's going on. And so Rahab, a prostitute, brings these guys into her house, hides them, and then when the king's messengers come to look for them, Rahab lies. She said, oh, they, yeah, they were here, but they left. And if you go right now, I bet you can catch them. And really, they're hiding in the roof, in the, in the thatch of the roof. But, but she didn't tell them that. She said, go. And sure enough, they went and the, uh, the lives of the spies were spared and Jericho was destroyed. But Rahab was honored for that. She and her family were protected when, uh, when the Israelites came and tore down. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down, but Rahab was protected. So not only was she a, a, a liar, she's also a prostitute, and yet she's protected, right? And, and it gets even better because then if you flip to the end of the book, almost the end of the, of the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11, in this big, uh, uh chapter of, of faith and the big holding up the big uh, heroes of the faith down through Jewish history, we see that Rahab is actually highlighted there in Hebrews chapter 11, right alongside people like Abraham and Isaac and Moses. So, if you ever find yourself harboring spies as a prostitute, it is okay to lie. No. I don't know that we can get any big, huge, sweeping principles out of that, but just just to say that at least twice in the Bible, people people lied and it wasn't considered wrong. But I think maybe we can pull this from that. Uh, because overwhelmingly, the Bible condemns lying. And we've seen just a few examples of that. But over and over and over again, uh, the Bible condemns lying. But it appears that if a person is fearing God and acting in faith... In an extreme situation, it might be okay to oppose evil through deception. Maybe there's a principle there, but uh, I, again, I don't think necessarily you're going to find yourself in that type of situation. We could probably look at, at history and, and look at uh, uh, places where people have, uh, uh, maybe in Nazi Germany and, and uh, under oppression and some of those other things. So, so in those extreme situations and circumstances, perhaps there is a place for deception in order for protection. But of course, uh, overwhelmingly in our lives, the scripture tells us that we need to be people of the truth. We could talk at length about the problems with lying, the issues that it causes, how, how it almost always leads to other more extensive lies. We saw that with Pinocchio, right? Well, tell me about that. Well, now I'm going to, and then this, and then this, and then this. And, and the reason that we chuckle a little bit at that is, that because, is because it mirrors real life. We could discuss the importance of trust and how I can't trust you if you're, if you're not trustworthy and how you can't trust me if I'm not trustworthy. We could talk about integrity. That's what we want other people to be, right? Uh, we want you to, I want you to tell the truth. I want my friends to tell the truth. I want them to be, be honest with me. I, I want them to be dependable, right? But then there are times when we can kind of justify those things in our own lives. Well, I didn't tell the whole truth because... But I want you to tell it. You know, it's, we, we, we know that we've heard from an early age 
that honesty is the best policy. We see in Scripture that we need to be people, uh, that we need to not bear false witness, that, we, that liars uh, end up places we would rather not end up. So we need to be honest. But why? What is the spiritual problem with using my words to give false testimony? What, what's, what's the issue at stake here? Some people see the Bible as a rule book. We take the, the book and we've got these rules, you, you know, you got the, the, the Ten Commandments right there and there's a bunch of rules and laws and I have to follow and God has come up with these, these laws and selected these things and if I follow it, it's right and if I don't follow it, it's wrong. But, but uh, it's not just a random list of rules and okay, because I've called myself a Christian, I'm going to follow these things. There's actually reason behind it, right? Uh, there, it's not just random. The issues of right and wrong go much deeper than the rules or laws that have been devised uh, in order to help us uh, follow the right and avoid the wrong. Each of the laws rooted in the Bible, uh, explained in the Bible, are rooted in the very character of who God is. It's the right thing to do because it's who God is. We see that crystal clear in this issue with with, uh, truth and lies. Uh, Why should I be honest? Well, because God said so. Well, no, we need to go deeper than that. Uh, Why why should I be honest? Well, because the truth has the best outcomes. And uh, actions have consequences. If I lie, there are consequences. And and so so I shouldn't lie because of that. Well, that's true, but we need to go even deeper than that. Uh, Why should I be honest? Well, well, honesty is the best policy. Well, sure, yeah, we've that's true, but but we got to keep going. Why should I? Well, it's on the list. It's on number nine on the list. We got it. Well, why? Because God is truth. And when I'm honest... I am displaying the very character of God. God is truth. And if I am not truthful, I am going against the very character of who God is. Of course, I've said this for, for, for weeks that this is more, all of these things are, are more than just a language issue. It's more than just the words we say. Lying comes from a deceptive Heart, a, a sinful character that is not displaying the character of God. As I've said every week, Matthew 12, kind of the theme verse of this whole series, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Oh, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So our lies are rooted in a deceptive, selfish heart. And that's true with, with all of our words. As I've said, whether we're talking about complaining or, or uh, uh, telling dirty jokes or, or uh, taking God's name in vain or, or all being critical of, of people, whatever, it's, it's merely indicating what's going on inside of us. Now, I'm sure there are, there are cases when we just have a bad habit and, and, and we are doing all that we can to follow the heart of God, but in some ways maybe we've ignored that. Well, it's not that big a deal. Well, hopefully this has been a wake-up call that it kind of is a big deal. Uh, it really is a big deal and we need to shift some of our habits and recognize that, that it's not not just, oh, I grew up with that, so, so it's okay to say, or uh, it's just this habit I've gotten into. Uh, if that's the case, I mean, clean up your words. It, it, just stop it. <laughs> Maybe you're still on the, on the right track with God and he's working on your heart, but, but uh, this is something that needs to be addressed. So we need to let your character shine through. But, but usually there's more to it than just a few habits that I need to change. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. If our words are a reflection of our character, if the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, then we need to be developing a godly character in order for our language to improve. And that only happens as we submit to the formation that comes from the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 calls this fruit. 
the fruit of the Spirit, or the character, I guess I like to think of it as the character that the Holy Spirit develops in my life. Uh, they just use the, uh, Paul uses the, the issue, or the, the, the word picture of fruit. This, this holy character that's developed when God works in my heart doesn't look like lying or complaining or cursing or criticizing or gossiping. If that is the fruit coming out of our mouths, then it's not from the Holy Spirit. Uh, no, instead, uh, the, the, the Bible tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's the fruit of the sin. If those are the things coming out of our mouths, then we can be sure that it's, it's a, a, a fruit of or evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. What if, what if your words, the words that you use, what, what if they were good? That'd be, that'd be a good thing, right? Good. Fruit of the Spirit is goodness. What if, what if, you were able to control your words. You had self-control that, that you didn't always blurt out what comes to mind. Boy, that would be a great thing, wouldn't it? Well, that would be evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life. What if, what if you were, what if your, your words were gentle and kind? Wouldn't that be, man, even in the midst of, oh, I can't, I, wait. If you can have the, the, the gentle, kind words of the Holy Spirit, that shows that, the, uh, that He's working in your heart. What if, what if you were patient when you talked? Oh. What if, what if your words were always come, coming from a place of love? Love for God and love for the other person. What if your words, I guess what I'm getting at, what if your words were rooted in the character of God? Now, I say all that, but I need to tell you that you can't do it. Just give up now. Let's pray and go home. No. Just, just give up now because as we've seen in James chapter 3, no human being can tame the tongue. It's impossible. It, it's right there in the, in the words of Scripture. You can't do this, but the Holy Spirit can. And as he changes your character, as you submit your life to him, as you say, Holy Spirit, do your work in my heart, then, then, uh, then he comes in and your language will start to look like his. And it will be the appealing, wonderful, godly fruit from the Holy Spirit himself. What does that look like? How do, how, do we, how do we do that? How do we tap into that? Well, Jesus used the same kind of imagery from a garden uh, to, uh, to, to kind of uh, bring this around as well. In John chapter 15, an uh, amazing passage of Scripture, uh, as, as Jesus is speaking to his disciples uh, before he is uh, crucified, uh, he says in John chapter 15, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It much, must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. How do we bear fruit? Remain in the vine. If you've ever gardened at all, that makes perfect sense. There will not be any fruit coming from an old dead stick lying in your yard because it's not connected to anything. The only uh, branches that have any hope of producing any fruit will be those that are still connected to uh, the, the, the tree, connected to the roots, connected to the life-giving soil, nutrients, water, all those things 
that will bring life to that branch and produce fruit. So our focus has to be on remaining. Remain connected to Jesus. Uh, Stay rooted in him. Uh, Be planted in him. I think sometimes we get so uptight, we get so focused on producing fruit. And so in this issue with with our words, uh, maybe we're trying really hard. And, oh, you know, the pastor's preaching on this and I've got to be careful with what I say. And, and oh, he spoke about that. And then, oh, well, I really need to buckle down. I need to get a cuss jar and put money in it every, every time I, I cuss, right? Or, or uh, I, I need to, oh, I, I need to get somebody to tell me when I'm complaining so they can smack me upside the head and then I'll complain about them smacking me upside. No, we, we try to put these things in, in, in place and say, hey, I, I really got, I, oh, yeah, I've got to work on that. I've got to work but we're going to fail in that. It might work for a few weeks, but we can get defeated that way because we're always looking for the fruit. Am I, am I doing any better? Am I doing, well, I'm a little bit better here, but now I'm bad here. I've heard something along this line somewhere before. If there's going to be fruit, you have to focus on the root. Makes sense in the growing process. Uh, if you, let's, let's say that you go out from here this afternoon and you plant a sapling apple tree. So what's the next step? Well, there's... Uh, water and sun and fertilizer and, of course, time. Probably some pruning along the way, uh, maybe some spraying for, uh, for bugs and, and, uh, and disease and all those kinds of things. But it would be crazy. We would all agree that it would be crazy if you went out from here and you planted a sapling apple tree this afternoon that tomorrow you would get up and you would go out expecting to pick plump, ripe apples off of that tree. Wouldn't make any sense to do that, right? Fruit takes time to develop. And character, holiness in our lives is usually like that. There are habits to form, there are habits to break, it can be a difficult process, but that's the process and too many times we're looking at the wrong end of the branch. Jesus said, remain in me, let my words remain in you. What what if, wait a minute, God's words, Jesus' words, what if Jesus' words were planted in our hearts and if out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks and all of a sudden the things that I'm speaking are actually the words of Jesus. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he says, if we remain, there's a promise. It's repeated several times here. If you remain, you will bear much fruit. That's kind of the byproduct. But I think we get this wrong a lot. We are not commanded to bear fruit. Nowhere in this passage does it say, you need to bear fruit. But over and over and over again, it says, remain in me. And if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. That's what will happen. But the focus is not on, oh, I've got to try hard enough and look good enough and use my words well. No, remain in Jesus. Be planted in him. We're commanded to remain. The fruit will come. Pursue him. Remain in him. There will be no fruit if there is no root. How do we do that? Well, I mean, it starts with a commitment to follow him. I want to follow God and not just try to figure this thing out for myself, right? I'm inviting the Holy Spirit to come and work inside of me. We have to come to the place of surrender where we say, I can't do this anymore. And we say, Holy Spirit, please form your character in me. I guess that's the planting part, right? So we're planted in him. We're invited. We say, I want to be part of this. I want to engage in this process. I want to be connected to Jesus. God, I can't do this anymore. Forgive me. Plant me in you. 
And then it involves the the growing process, the remaining process uh, involves pursuing the things of God. Uh, I'm putting myself in healthy environments so that I can grow. Just like a plant needs good soil and water and fertilizer and sunshine, we need to fill our lives with the healthy things that will provide spiritual growth. This doesn't just happen. We are partnering with the Holy Spirit. So it's not just, okay, I'm, I'm remaining now, do your thing. There are habits to form. There are ways that the Holy Spirit moves and works in us. You know, it, it comes back to the basics, spending time in prayer, digging into Scripture. If we're talking about the power of words, what about the power of the Word, the Word of God? What, what about us thinks that we can develop God's character and not spend much time in the book? The very words of God are written on the pages of Scripture and it sits on a shelf. Or maybe we pull it out. Well, we don't even have to pull it out on Sunday anymore, right? Because it's up on the big jumbotron. Digging in to the very words of God transforms our character and the Holy Spirit uses that to continue to help us to grow, to fertilize, (laughs) to water the seeds that are within us. Spending time with God's people, the church, Spending time with the, with the influences that are going to influence us toward God. Maybe if they say something, uh, something that, that sounds a little bit critical at first, but, but it's keeping us accountable and saying, Hey, you're better than this. Hey, I think God probably wants you to form your character here and you're not, you're kind of resisting. What's the people of God can help transform that? It also involves in avoiding negative environments. Avoiding negative influences that would, would make us spiritually unhealthy. And again, I've said, uh, in every one of these, uh, messages that, that, that if we're going to avoid being, uh, co- complainers, then we need to avoid being around people that are complaining, right? And if we're going to avoid being critical of others and, and talking about them, gossiping, then we're going to avoid gossipers. Uh, if we're going to avoid, uh, using God's name in vain, then one big thing is to try not to, uh, fill our mind with those, those people, those circumstances that, those uh, entertainments where we hear that all the time. Same with cursing and, and all the rest. We're not going to fill ourselves with, put ourselves in an environment where it's hard to resist. Bad company corrupts good character. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> I know it is. When, when we're putting ourselves in an environment where all those negative things are happening, most of the time we're not going to be strong enough to resist that and we'll find ourselves drifting away. So make the commitment that you're going to avoid those circumstances, that, that you're going to turn off that show if it's, uh, if it's littered with bad language and, and sexual humor, or you're going to, you're going to just make a, make a rule. And it, I mean, it's not a hard and fast rule. I mean, years ago, we said, we're not watching any R-rated movies. There's no reason for that. What's the point? Why would I entertain myself with it? And then there's a whole lot of other movies that, that, well, why would I even try to get that? So, so, Get some standards and then be discerning along the way and say, I'm just not going not gonna to do that. I'm going to avoid the, the, the gossip corner in the, in the office or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, try to turn around the conversation where everybody's cursing a blue streak. I'm going to avoid those rants on Facebook and not, not, uh, not uh, dive into all that. Remaining in Jesus means filling your life with him. Filling your life with the things of God. Character takes time. This is not something that will be like, okay, 
Now let's move on to the next thing. We're starting a new series next week. Good. Now I don't have to worry about using my words. Well, preacher's moving on. Dodged a bullet there, right? This is a lifestyle of remaining in God. Words are just part of that. I mean, this God developing his character in us changes so much. It's, it's literally the word, the, 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 the scripture uses the word transform. Changing the very essence of who we are from darkness to light. Complete opposites from, from death to life. Get rid of the harmful influences. Develop good and godly habits. Invite the Holy Spirit to invade your life. Let him develop his character in you. So that you, the words that you speak coming from the overflow of your heart are words of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Over time, his holy fruit will transform your life. Even what you say. Father God, what a, what a challenge it is. And scripture plays it out over and over again. What a challenge it is to, to control what we say. And yet how, how important it is because it has the power of life or death. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to speak life. I pray that even in the, 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 the quiet of this moment right now, that you would help us to see ways where we need, we need to allow your Holy Spirit to have more influence in our lives. Ways where we need to be more self-controlled or, or loving or kind or good. Lord, we need to remain in you. And so I, I pray that, 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 that you would not only challenge us, but you would encourage us, that you, have, you would help us in this. We, we need your help. We can't do it alone. I pray that you would, uh, as we go from this place, that it would be evident over time, that it would be evident that the words that we speak are simply the overflow of a heart turned toward you, the overflow of the Holy Spirit who has transformed our lives from the inside out. Lord, I pray that you would take our lives and form your character within us. In Jesus' name we pray.